0: Well, good morning. good morning. Maybe you heard the story about this guy that was sitting at a bar staring at his drink when his biker comes in, steps up to him and grabs his drink, guzzles it all down and says, what are you gonna do about it? And the guy starts to cry. And the biker says, gee, I didn't, I didn't think you were gonna cry. I can't stand to see a grown man cry. And the guy says, I, I've been nothing but a failure all my life, nothing but a failure. One failure after another, failure after failure, after failure. After failure and today's the worst day of my life. I failed to get to work on time, and I missed a meeting, and my, my boss fired me. I went down to the parking lot to get in my car, and I realized it was stolen. I left my wallet in the cab that I took home. I walked in the house, I found a letter from my wife, who said how many kids left me, and then my dog bit me. And then I come here trying to figure, contemplate about ending it all, and I'm, I'm looking at my glass, and I, I throw the capsule in, and I'm waiting for the poison to dissolve, and then you come in, and you guzzle the whole thing down. Well enough about me, how are you doing today? Well so church, I have, a few, I have a few questions for us this morning. How do we handle failure? What does it take for us to be success, successful in life? You know, to, for you and me to experience victory in life. Maybe if you grew up in the right family, that would help us to be successful. Maybe if you, you didn't have too many obstacles growing up or, or, or uh, 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 the right opportunity or the right growing up in the right family, you could be successful. You know, I think when we look at successful people, we notice one common denominator. Successful people, people who have, the, successful people, people who have learned to, to walk in victory have learned to deal with their failure. They know how to move on from it. Instead in life that we're gonna experience failure more than we experience success. We hear this example all the time, Thomas Edison failed a thousand times before he made the light bulb. So let's think about how we process failure. Maybe today you're you're sitting there with a certain failure that's happened and for you this failure is painful, even paralyzing. How do we move forward from that that nagging sense that we're not gonna make it, that we're never gonna get through this? And from now on this this failure is gonna define who we are. For me, it was just, you're an alcoholic and a drug addict and that's all you're ever gonna be. For 18 years, 18 years I tried to get sober, stay sober. I could get sober, but I failed time after time to stay sober. But I finally learned, I finally learned that failure can be the back door to success. And that's the title of our message this morning. Failure can be the back door to success. Turn with me, if you will, to Joshua 8. We're gonna be reading the whole chapter. And as we turn uh, in the word of God, let's turn to the God of that word in prayer, shall we? Father, we thank you for your your living word, Lord. It's as as relevant today as it was back in the day. And Father, it's such an honor and a privilege to be in this pulpit this morning, Father, sharing your word. I pray, Father, that it wouldn't be my words, but but your words that come out this morning, Lord, and that you would touch each and every one that's listening here this morning. And Father, we pray for, for Jim Johnson, who was supposed to be here today, who's having a knee replacement surgery. We pray for him that the surgery would be a success and that the recovery would be quick and complete. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Joshua 8. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear or be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given it into your hand, the king of Ai, and his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. So Joshua and all the fighting men arose and went up to Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them out by night. And he commanded them, behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind it. Don't go very far from the city, but all of you remain ready. And I and all the people who are with me will approach the city. And when they come out against us just as before, we shall flee before them. And they shall come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city. For they'll say, they're fleeing from us just as before. So we will flee before them. Then you shall rise up from the ambush, seize the city, for the Lord has given it into your hand. And as soon as you've taken the city, you shall set the city on fire. You shall do according to the word of the Lord. See, I have commanded you. So Joshua sent them out, and they went to the place of ambush, and lay between Bethel and Ai to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent the night among the people. Joshua arose early in the morning and mustered the people and went up, he and the elders of Israel, before the people of Ai. And all the fighting men who were with him went up and drew near before the city and encamped on the north side of the city with a ravine between them and Ai. He took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. So they stationed the forces, the main encampment that was north of the city and its rear guard west of the city. But Joshua spent the night in the valley. And as soon as the king of Ai saw this, he and all his people, the men of the city, hurried and went out early to the appointed place toward the Araba, that's the desert, to meet Israel in battle. And he didn't know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all Israel pretended to be beaten before them and fled in the direction of the wilderness. So all the people who were in the city were called together to pursue them. And they pursued Joshua. As they pursued Joshua, they were drawn away from the city. Not a man was left in Ai, or Bethel, who did not go out after Israel. They left the city open and pursued Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the javelin that's in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city. And the men of the ambush rose quickly out of their place. And as soon as he had stretched out his hand, they ran and entered the city and captured it. And they hurried to set the city on fire. So when the men of Ai looked back, behold, the smoke of the city went up to heaven. And they had no no power to flee this way or that. For the people who had fled to the wilderness turned back against their pursuers. And when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had captured the city... And that the smoke of the city went up, then they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. And the others came out from the city against them. So they were in the midst of Israel, some on this side, some on that side. And Israel struck them down until there was left none that survived or escaped. But the king of Ai, they took alive and brought him near to Joshua. When Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the open wilderness where they pursued them, and all of them in the very last had fallen by the edge of the sword, all Israel returned to Ai and struck it down with the edge of the sword. And all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. But Joshua didn't draw back his hand with which he stretched out the javelin until he devoted all the inhabitants of Ai to destruction. Only the livestock and spoil of that city, Israel took his plunder according to the word of the Lord that he commanded Joshua. And so Joshua burned Ai and made it forever a heap of ruins as it is to this day. And he hanged the king of Ai on a tree until evening. And at sunset Joshua commanded, and they took his body down from the tree, and they threw it at the entrance of the gate of the city and raised over a great heap of stones, which stands there to this day. At that time Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed offerings. And there, in the, in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And all Israel, sojourner, as well as native-born, with their elders and officials and their judges, Stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priest who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, half of them a Mount Gerizim and half of them on Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded, at the first to bless the people, and afterward he read all the words of the Lord, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law, that there was not a word that it mo- wasn't a word of all that Moses didn't commanded Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women, and the little ones, and the sojourners who lived among them. In chapter 7, Joshua met met with a major mistake. The fact that it came in the form of a a pretty serious sin. God had told the Israelites, "When when, when you go into the land, you can have anything that you find in terms of plunder. All the cities that you take, anything that you want is yours. It's all yours. But that first city is mine. Remember, that's the law of, of of first fruits. God said, "The first city, Jericho, is mine. Don't touch anything there. Don't even think about touching anything there. It's all mine. And then you can have everything from that point on." But this guy named Achan took some of the stuff that belonged to the Lord, and he hid it in his tent. And because of that, he made uh, the nation of Israel Israel liable to destruction. So when he went out to fight against that the second city of Ai. They were routed by the men of Ai, even though Ai was a pretty small and insignificant city. And Joshua fell on his face before the Lord, and he, he cried out to, to God, and, and God said, Joshua, why are you praying? You think this was my fault? I don't go back on my promises. There's sin in your camp there, buddy. you got to get rid of it. They had to deal with Achan's sin, and only when they they dealt with that sin was the Lord able to free again to work with Israel because that hindrance had been moved out of the way. And by the way, it wasn't just a mistake by Achan. Joshua made some pretty serious blunders as well. See, he failed to pray to the Lord before he went up to Ai. And his men walked in in self-confidence because they they thought they were unbeatable. They didn't rely on the power of the Lord, and as a result, they got beat. Well, this morning, we're going to see some of the important lessons that that Joshua learned from his failure in the first battle of Ai. Lessons about walking in presumption, about not walking in an attitude of self-confidence, but continuing to to rely on the Lord, continuing to to trust and, and, and rely on God. And to know that whatever marching orders we got for yesterday's battle probably aren't appropriate for the battle that we're having today or tomorrow, as a matter of fact. We need to be in constant communication with the Lord. And I think one of the most important lessons that we can learn from from Joshua is failure doesn't have to be fatal. And that's our first point this morning. Failure doesn't have to be fatal. Look at verse 1. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear or be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise and go up to Ai. See, I have given given into your hand the king, his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take for plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. On the heels of his greatest failure, God speaks to Joshua and God says, Joshua, don't fear, don't be dismayed because I've given you the city of Ai just like I give you the city of Jericho. So take heart and go. See, God tells Joshua, go back to that very place you failed a few days ago and try again because I've given you that city. Don't be discouraged. And maybe God is going to say that to us today. Go back to that very place where you failed and try again. Can you remember when you were a kid trying to learn how to ride your bike? Right, We, cra- we crashed and we-, and-, and-, and we fell. And what did your mother or father say? I, I can't tell you what my father said, but what would most, peop- what would most parents say? Get back on a bike. Not tomorrow, today. Go back to the place where you failed and try again. And we learned to ride our bike. I saw a man on, on YouTube speaking about how, how failure had become an obstacle in his life. He had this dream, this gift to be a stand-up comedian. But how can you be a comic, how can you, except he had this problem with stuttering. And how can you be a stand-up comedian and stutter? It happened one day when he was playing softball, he got, he got hit in the throat. And he described how discouraged and how depressed he had become because he felt like his, his dream was taken away from him. And then he said this statement, what a, what a profound statement. He said, you can't hang your head forever, eventually you have to look up. You can't hang your head forever, eventually you have to look up. Winston Churchill, who was said to have failed many times in his life, said this about failure and success. Success isn't final, failure isn't fatal, it's the courage to continue that counts. So today when we think about an area of failure in our lives where, we're, where we failed, maybe we're stuck and we're not moving forward. If you've fallen, do you have the courage to get up and try again? Look at what Solomon says about the way righteous men and women fail, Proverbs 24 and 16. Though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. And we're going to see this all through the book of Joshua. That, that word rise in verse once it conveys the thought that even though you feel dead, even though you, you feel like you've fallen and you don't think you can get up, God is saying, get up, rise. I still got an incredible plan for your life. You still have a life to live. And as we look at Joshua's journey and we think about our journey, God wants us to think about how can we apply this story to our life. See, we read Joshua's story and we're like, hey Joshua, I know you're discouraged and you're afraid, you feel like a failure, but turn the page to chapter 8. The next day, the next battle, you're going to win. And in fact, the sun is going to stand still, and you don't know that yet, and you're going to conquer all this land, and you don't know that yet. And Joshua, we read at the the end of your life that all these promises that God made come true, even even though you've been through all these failures. So, Joshua, chill out. God's got you. Now, think about the story of our lives. We might be in chapter seven, but chapter seven isn't the end of the story, it's just the chapter we're in. That feeling that you might have now that you're overwhelmed. I can't take another step. I can't get past this failure. And it's defining defining my life. Listen, chapter 8 is coming. And chapter 9 is coming. And chapter 10 is coming. Because the Bible says Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. See, he's writing us into his story. He's saying live by faith, just like Joshua, even in your failure. He says, he tells us failure doesn't have to be fatal. And when we go through failure, we learn how to listen to God. God gets our attention. The men said to Joshua, that city that's after Jericho, it's small. Two or three thousand guys will take that city. No problem. See, God didn't seek Joshua. Joshua didn't seek God. He didn't pray to God. He didn't pause and listen. To tell you the truth, I don't even think Joshua went to the battle. Look at verse 4 of chapter 7. It says, so about three thousand men went up. It didn't say Joshua led three thousand men. It doesn't say Joshua took 3,000 men. I think Joshua just acted out of his own common sense. He said, yeah, that makes sense to me. Go ahead, do it. And that can get us into trouble. You see, when when we fail in life, we start to think about all those voices, right? Our our teachers, our parents, maybe our coaches who said, you know, you better listen to me. And what do we say? That's okay. I know what I'm doing. And then we hit a wall and we realize that we should have listened. You see, failure teaches us to listen. And that's our second point this morning. Failure teaches us to listen. See, in verse 1 and verse 18, it says, The Lord said to Joshua. See, Joshua's listening. He's leaning in. And he's going to get some, some, uh, some advice about the upcoming battle. And in the middle of the battle, we're going to hear God speak to Joshua again. And Joshua's going to listen. Then the Lord said to Joshua, and at the end of the chapter, we're going to see that God speaks to Joshua through his word. So we see Joshua listening, listening and asking God, what should I do, God? When should I go? Who should I bring with me? He's listening. He's leaning in and listening before, during, and after the battle. And I think if, we keep, if, we, if we're not careful and we keep doing and doing and doing, And we're not listening, we keep bumping against all these failures because we're not asking God, when do you want me to go? How do you want me to go about this? Do you want me to bring anybody with me? Listening should be part of our our prayer life and our journey. We see God and Joshua having this, this conversation. And God gives Joshua the big picture. He says, Joshua, go set an ambush. But he doesn't give him all the details. And in the middle of the battle, God speaks to Joshua again. And that's our life with God. He doesn't give us all the details at the same time. He might give us step number one. And we take that step and now we're waiting for step number two. And we pray and we wait and we listen and then step number two comes. And we wait to hear from God again. And then, we, and then suddenly he'll give us step number three. He gives us little pieces along the way. And that's what's going to happen to Joshua in his journey. And we have to be careful not, not to rely on our own common sense. You see, there's this idea of presumption. And that's what happened to Joshua. He presumed that God gave him this victory at the big battle of Jericho, so he's going to give him this little victory at the battle of Ai, this battle at the, at the little battle of Ai. I mean, it just makes sense to me. But that's the sort of logic Moses, moved, Moses used, right? God commanded him to strike a rock, and water came out, and then went back to that rock a few years later, and God said, speak to that rock. And instead of speaking, Moses hit the rock. Moses thought, well, it worked over here, but it'll work again over there. But I heard from God over there, I'm just going to apply it to all these other situations. And if I don't hear from God, I'm just going to do it my own way. I'll use my own method. That kept Moses out of the promised land. See, when we think about presumption in our lives, presumption can sound like this. I figured out a formula to success in this area of my life, so I almost have a guaranteed outcome for it over here. See, that's how Joshua makes his mistake. And we should learn from Joshua's mistakes so we don't have to learn from our own. So in what areas of our life are we being presumptuous? We assume that God is going to act a certain way because he did that in the past for us. But you know what happens when we assume. What are the presumptions or expectations in our relationship with God? I think maybe maybe a, a better way to describe that would be what are our terms and conditions with God? You know when you you download download an app or software on your phone and you have to read all those terms and conditions and then hit hit, I agree at the end? Anybody read those 50 pages of of information? No. All we do is scroll all the way down. We click accept and we buy whatever we want to buy and we move on with life. We have no idea what it says. We don't read the fine print. And I think if we're really honest in our relationship with God, we probably have some fine print too. God, I'll follow you. Jesus, I'm going to give you my life. I'm going to be all in with you. Don't let me get cancer. Don't let anything happen to my kids. Don't let my finances fall apart. God, I'll give you all of me. But don't let this go wrong and that go wrong because if it does, I don't know if we're still good. And When something traumatic like that happens in our lives, we start to question everything about God. God, how can you let my daughter get this? Or my son get that? How could you let me use, lose my job? God, how can you let this happen to me? I thought we had a deal, God. And those moments in life are going to come. And in those moments when failure happens and, and, and we have to incline our ear, and if we do, something wonderful can happen in that time of failure, where God draws his heart and our hearts together, and we can feel closer to him than we ever have before. And God, a last friend, if this doesn't work out, will you still love me and still serve me? See, he knows what it's like to walk through the shadow of the valley of death, and he does it with us. And Joshua's learning how to listen. So what happens next? Well, Joshua takes the command that he's been given, and he's going to take the confidence that God has given him. Joshua, the battle belongs to you when you're going to war. See, failure not only taught Joshua to listen, but it taught him to approach things differently. And that's our third point. Failure teaches us new approaches. Failure teaches us new approaches. Look at verse 3. So Joshua and all the fighting men arose to go up to Ai, and Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them out by night. And he commanded them, Behold, you shall lie, lie in ambush against the city behind it. Don't go far from the city, but all of you remain ready. And I and all the people who are with me will approach the city. And when they come out against us, just as before, we'll flee before them. And they'll come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city. For they'll say, they're fleeing from us just as before. So we'll flee before them. Then you shall rise up from the ambush and seize the city. For the Lord your God will give it into your hand. And as soon as you've taken the city, you shall set the city on fire. You shall do according to the word of the Lord. See, I've commanded you. You See, God not only changes us so we don't start trusting in ourselves instead of trusting in the Lord. He changes the way he, he does things. So we don't start depending on our, our past experiences instead of his divine promises. You see, the strategy that God gave Joshua for taking Ai was almost the complete opposite that he used at Jericho. See, The Jericho operation used in a, uh, involved a, a week of marches that were carried out in the daylight. The attack on Ai involved a covert operation which pre- prepared for a daylight assault. The whole army was united at Jericho but Joshua divided the army at the Battle of Ai. God performed a mighty miracle at Jericho. He caused those walls to fall down, but there was no miracle at Ai. Joshua and his men simply obeyed God's instructions by setting an ambush, luring the people out of this city, and the Lord gave them the victory. You See, it's important that we seek God's will for each undertaking so we don't depend on our past victories as we plan for the future. I think we have to lose that it worked before, it'll work again mentality. The American business leader, Bruce Barton, said this about, uh, uh, said this. When, when you're through changing, you're through. See, the strategy that worked for AI was based on Israel's previous defeat. God was you organizing a victory in a unique way out of Joshua's mistakes. The mayor of uh, Minamisoma, it's a small town near the Fukushima nuclear power station, used YouTube in a unique way. While other towns waited for help to arrive, the mayor took a different approach. See, he made a video asking for help and pleading with the media to come and witness the situation for themselves. Until then, people waited for the media to come to make the video and then broadcasting it. And as a result, the town received thousands of boxes of food and other supplies from all over the world and uh, uh truckloads of goods from relief organizations. The mayor had a different approach And and, and I think failure should teach us to approach things differently too. The the people of Ai were self-confident and because they had defeated Israel in the first attack. And this self-confidence, it would be their undoing. We did it before, we could do it again. And failure teaches us to listen. And point four says, failure teaches us the danger of being self-confident. Failure teaches us the danger of being self-confident. Look at verse 17. Now the man was left in Ai of Bethel who did not go out after Israel. They left the city open and pursued Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, stretch out the javelin that's in your hand toward Ai, for I'll give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city. And the men in the ambush rose quickly out of their place. And as soon as he had stretched out his hand, they ran and entered the city and captured it. And they hurried to set the city on fire. So when the men of Ai looked back, behold, the smoke of the city went up to heaven, and they had no power to flee this way or that. For the people who fled to the wilderness turned back against the pursuers. So think about what God is doing with Joshua in this battle. Look at the strategy that that God's given him. God says, set an ambush. Now here's what God and Joshua both know. Joshua lost that first battle because of of self-confidence, right? Two or 3,000 men, no big deal. And they got beat up. So God is going to take Joshua back to the very same place where we failed and say, say, Joshua, you know that failure you experienced? That pain that you feel, that you felt? 36 men died that day. And you were wondering if I was still with you? Well, I'm going to take your failure, Joshua. And we're going to use that same failure against the enemy. And we're going to use their self-confidence to defeat them. But think about what God's doing here. And God is saying to all of us through Joshua, I want you to look at your biggest failure and I want you to think about how painful it was or how painful it is. But not only will I forgive you for that, but I'm going to take you right back to that spot and use the very same thing to defeat the enemy. What did Jesus do to Satan? Jesus defeated Satan by letting him think he won the victory when he went to the cross. At the time, it looked like the greatest failure ever. But Jesus took what looked like a failure and used that same failure to defeat the world, to redeem the world. He used Satan's own weapons against Satan. And those very things that Satan wants to use to tear our lives down, Jesus wants to use as a a, a bridge to him. And he wants us to fight in in the victory of Jesus Christ to share our hope, to share the gospel with people who were still being held captive by their sins. And when things like that start happening, man, your life gets exciting. And some of us here this morning can, can attest to that. People who are alcoholics and drug addicts, I see this in my own ministry. and I see it in my own life. Alcoholics and addicts, and God's using them to, to share their experience, strength, and hope with others who are struggling. And relationships and marriages and, and families are being restored. Why? Because greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. So, what happens next? Well, the battle, the battle strategy works exactly as they expected it to. They have 30,000 people in the ambush. They have 5,000 people charged. Everyone leaves the city to follow them. See, they used the self confidence of the men of AI to draw them out of the city. 30,000 men went to the city and started everything on fire because they left their house vulnerable, completely vulnerable. And again, this is, this is a warning to us, too, because a strength that's left unguarded can become a weakness. Even the strength that's left unguarded can become a weakness. We have to learn not to be self-confident. 1 Corinthians 10 and 12 says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And Colossians 1 says, It's not by our own power, but by, but by Jesus Christ living in us. And that brings us to point five. Failure can lead to victory. Failure can lead to victory. Look at verse 18. The Lord said to Joshua, stretch out the javelin that's in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. Now down to verse 26. But Joshua didn't draw back his hand with which he stretched out the javelin until he had devoted all the inhabitants of Ai to destruction. Only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as their plunder according to the word of the Lord that he commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a heap of ruins as it is to this day. And he hanged the king of Ai on a tree until evening and at sunset Joshua commanded and he took his body down from the tree and threw it at the entrance, of, the entrance of the gate of the city and raised over it a heap of stones which stands there to this day. See, God uses Joshua's failure to deceive the men of Ai for this victory. He draws all the people out of the city and God whispers to Joshua just at the right time. See, it, it, it's, it, it's, timing is so important when we're in a battle. Here's Joshua, the general, hearing from God as the men ambush and there's smoke rising from the city. So Joshua holds his javelin high in the air and all the warriors know exactly what to do when he hangs, when he puts his hand in the air. See, when you see the general of God's army holding his hand high to the sky, it's time to turn, it's time to turn back on the men who were chasing you. And they catch them all like fish in a net because there's nowhere for them to go. They defeated the entire army that day. No one was left. 12,000 people. And in verse 26, it says, but Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the javelin until he had devoted all the inhabitants of Ai to destruction. That means for the entire battle, probably hours at a time, the hand of the general was lifted high with the javelin in his hand, and it never comes down. Does that sound like a familiar story? Moses, Joshua, Joshua's mentor, mentor, was on the top of a mountain in Exodus 17, and Joshua was in the valley fighting the battle. And every time Moses raised his hands, Joshua and the men would win. And every time he get tired to put his hands down, the men would lose. So these two guys, Aaron and uh, Aaron and Hur, came and they put a rock under Moses, and they held his hands up and wouldn't let him down. And as long as Moses has his hands up, the men would win. And God told Moses, "Tell Joshua what happened on that mountain that day." Why? Because he wanted Joshua to know that this victory wasn't because of his mighty right arm, but because of the mighty right arm of God who fights for us. And this is the assurance we have in battle. It's not about us. It's about our king, our warrior, our savior, as we're going to see in verse 29. And he hanged the king of Ai in the tree until evening. And at sunset, Joshua commanded, and they took his body down from the tree and threw it at the entrance of the gate the entrance of the gate of the city and raised over it a heap of stones which stands there to this day. So think about that, this gospel image. They take this king and they lift him up and hang him on a tree over the city as a symbol of a curse for all the people. And then at sundown, they take his body down and they bury him outside the city. Do you see it? Do you see it? Jesus represents all of us. He represents the curse of sin and he was hung on a tree and when his body was buried outside the city. See, this picture was weaved all all throughout Joshua and the Old and the New Testament. See, this story ultimately isn't about Joshua. It's about Jesus. It's about the gospel. It's about how how through the battle we're saved and we're rescued from our sin and how bad the enemy wants our soul. That's the beauty of God's word. So now think about... So now you would think that they, they defeat Ai, they faced all their failure, and now they're gonna go on to the next battle and the next battle because they have all this momentum. But instead of going to the next city, they marched 30 miles to this place called Shechem, to two mountains. And instead of going to war, they, they lay all their weapons down. and they, they have this whole ceremony, this service. If you think I'm taking a long time, this service probably lasted for about a week, so count your blessings. But they lay all, all their weapons down and it makes them very vulnerable to attack. You see, but Joshua knows where his strength comes from. He knows that he has to depend on God because failure creates a holy dependence. And that's our sixth and final point. Failure creates a holy dependence. Verse 30. At that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel on Mount Ebal. Just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there, in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And all Israel, sojourner, as well as native-born, all the elders, officers, and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priest who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, Half of them in front of Mount Jehazim, and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at first to bless the people of Israel. And afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that's written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua didn't read before all the assembly of Israel, the women, the little ones, and the sojourners who lived among them. See, Joshua doesn't go right into the next battle, but he pauses, and he brings all the people, not just the soldiers, but the women, the children, and the people that were traveling with them, the sojourners, and they go to this place. And Joshua goes there because he knows what the book of the law says. In Jonah chapter 1, the Lord said, don't let the book of the law depart from you. Meditate on it day and night. So once they get to Jerusalem and Ebal, Joshua does exactly what Moses commanded in Deuteronomy chapter 11. See, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commandments of the, of the Lord your God, which I command you today. And the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from what I'm commanding you today, to go after other gods that you haven't known. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you're entering to take possession of it, you shall set a blessing on, on, on Mount Jeruzim and a curse on Mount Ebal. Now, let's stop there for a second. So God is saying, when you go into the land, make sure you go to these two mountains, Mount Gerizim, which is called the mountain of blessing, and Mount Ebal, which is called the mountain of cursing. They represent the two choices that we have to make, to be blessed by God or to be cursed in rebellion against God. See, once they were in the valley, Joshua separated the people toward the two mountains. And we read that an altar was placed on one of the mountains. On which mount was the altar placed? The altar was placed on Mount Ebal, the Mount of Cursing. Why would God want them to place an altar on the Mount of Cursing? I mean, I'm ugly, but I ain't stupid, right? I'd place the altar on Mount Ebal, wouldn't you? I mean, that's that's what I would think. I would have put it on the Mount of Blessing. The altar of Mount Ebal was a a prophetic event. It It pointed to the cross. See, years after Joshua, all the people have, years after Joshua and the, the people had <clears throat> excuse years after jo- and the people had built an altar on Mount Ebal, Jesus died on a hill that was a mountain of cursing, just outside Jerusalem. You see, Jesus died in a place on a hill called Calvary, and on that cross he took the curse of sin for us. He was offered up on an altar of God's judgment so that we might escape the judgment and receive mercy instead. Galatians 3 and 13 said, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. You see, we can dwell on the mountain of blessing because Jesus paid the price for our sin on the mountain of cursing. See, there are two paths we can take in life. One to destruction, the other leads to delight. One leads to joy, the other leads to judgment. So today we choose. Success and victory come to obedience to God, Failure and defeat come when we say, Well, I'm going to do things my own way. Maybe today you're sitting there and there's a a certain failure that's happened, and this failure is painful, even paralyzing. And it seems to be defining who you are, and you just can't seem to get past it. But incline your ear. Lean in. Listen. Can you hear God speaking? Can you hear Him? He's saying, This failure isn't fatal. In fact, I'm gonna use this failure as the back door to your success. I know you might be afraid and fearful, but if you would just trust me, just trust me and take a step forward in faith through your fear, you'll learn to hear my small, still voice in the middle of your battles. And I'll teach you new tactics, new approaches that are gonna lead to some of the greatest victories you ever had. Today, if you would like to accept what I did for you on Calvary, the Mount of Cursing, you get to live on a Mount of Blessing forever. If you choose to live your own way, you can live on a mount of curses forever. Can you hear him? Can you hear him? Because we're sinners, sin requires judgment. And since Jesus took our judgment on mount mount of curses, and we we believe, we can believe in him, and he gives us the mount of blessing as a divine gift for this life and eternity. It's up to you to choose. Many of us today have, have chosen to trust Christ and we live on a Mount of Blessings. But likely there's someone this morning who hasn't made that choice, hasn't put their faith and trust in Christ yet. You have an opportunity to turn from your sin today and believe in him. You can move from the place of cursing to the place of blessing because of Jesus Christ. I want to end with this. Some years ago, this artist painted a, uh, had a, painted a portrait of a, a, this painting. And the picture uh, revealed a man standing at a, at a crossroad where one sign said, right. One sign said wrong. Interestingly enough, the, each road looked the same to the guy in the painting. But the person viewing the painting, he could see over the hill. And beyond the path marked wrong, there was this great pit waiting to trap any unsuspecting traveler. See, there were only two paths, two mountains. Jesus took the Mount of curses for us when he died on the cross for our sins. He did that for, for, so that all who believe in him might dwell on the Mount of curse, on amount of blessings. You want to come and join us on the mountain this morning? If that's what you choose, I want to lead you in a little prayer, a simple prayer. There's no magic to these words. You you, you pray this prayer that you're not joining some church or or, or or religion. Christianity isn't religion. It's about a relationship. If you'd like to come to Christ today and invite Him into your heart, repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I ask you for for your forgiveness. I believe that you died for my sins and you rose from the dead. I turn from my sins, and I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior from this day forward. If you prayed that prayer this morning, you're what the the Bible calls born again. You're in God's family. I challenge you to to get in a, a, a good Bible teaching church. Tell someone about that decision you made today. Amen? Let's pray. Father, life is a battle. Sometimes we lose, sometimes we win. But all too often we fight life's battles on our own. When we're up against overwhelming circumstances, help us to place our trust in you. Help us to remember your your faithfulness in the past, to trust you with our present, to follow your instructions, and have the confidence to know that you will lead us to victory. Amen.